Welcome to our study on trusting God. You know, the Christian life is intended to be one of a continuous growth. And one way that we grow is through the adversities in our life. For example, after Job went through the various trials in his life, he said, as we see in Job 42.5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Through the various trials, through all the adversities that he went through, his faith grew from head knowledge to heart knowledge. He grew closer in his relationship with God. Ladies, God wants us to grow in our Christian life, and he wants to shape us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, one of the many fascinating events in nature is the formation of the pearl. And inside an oyster's shell is an organ called the mantle, which produces a material called nacar, a calcium carbonate substance that lines the inside of the shell. Well, the formation of the pearl begins when a microscopic intruder, such as a parasite or a grain of sand, becomes lodged between the mantle and the shell, irritating it. Well, the oyster's natural reaction is to cover up that irritant to protect itself. So the mantle covers the irritant with layers of the calcium carbonate substance, the nacre, and this process is repeated over a period of several years. And this buildup of the nacre is what forms a pearl. So it was because of something that was an irritant that a beautiful pearl was formed. Ladies, God gave the oyster a way to protect itself from irritants. Think of it. If it wasn't irritated, it wouldn't have any reason to secrete this calcium carbonate substance, would it? And we would not have the pleasure of this beautiful gemstone, the pearl. But notice that the pearl was not formed immediately, but the process took time. This is the same with adversity in our lives. Adversity acts as an irritant, and over time, the Holy Spirit can produce a beautiful Christ-like character in us. Well, the path of life is not easy. It's not an easy path to walk. It is filled with all kinds of trials. Trials that come in the form of sickness and disease, of accidents and disappointments, of sorrow and suffering, as well as death, just to name a few that we face in our life. But James tells us how we are to combat these trials. As we turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, let's listen to Dr. Tony Evans, who is the senior pastor of Oak Cliff, Cliff Bible Fellowship, who is a over an 8,000 member church in Dallas, Texas. And Dr. Evans also graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. Let's listen to what he has to say about James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Well, first of all, before I tell you about counting it all joy, let's define a trial. A trial is an adverse circumstance, an adverse circumstance allowed or caused by God for your spiritual development. Now, with that definition, it tells you why you count it all joy. Here it is. 
because there's no such thing as a trial that does not have your development in mind. In other words, it didn't just happen. It wasn't just an incident. It wasn't just uh, something out of nowhere. Before it got to you, it had to go through God's fingers and be okayed first. So if he okayed it, he okayed it for a reason. Because remember, all things are working together for good. A trial is a unplanned interruption in your day. Days, weeks, months, sometimes years. It throws you off. It's an unplanned, unexpected, because he says, when you encounter it's a divinely ordained difficulty interrupting the normal programming of life. He says, count it all joy. What does that mean? He says, don't count it all complaining. Don't count it all arguing. Don't count it as a mistake. And please don't do this. Don't mistake the hand of man for the hand of God. Because God will use people to bring you and deliver you your trials. The attitude needed when facing trials, according to James, is an attitude of joy, isn't it? For it says in verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into the various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Ladies, we can have joy in the midst of trials because as Dr. Tony Evans said, there is no such thing as a trial without your spiritual development in mind. It is not the adversity or the trial considered in and of itself that is to be ground of our joy. Rather, it is the expectation of the results the development of our character that should cause us to rejoice in adversity. Scripture doesn't tell us that we are not going to suffer and we're not going to feel the pain of sickness and we're not going to feel the loss of our loved ones. But it does tell us that God is in control and that He has a plan and a purpose for that trial, for that adversity that we are facing. As Tony Evans says, a trial is designed to bring us spiritual development. We are not to complain or argue about that trial, but know that God allowed it to happen to strengthen us to build a Christ-like character in us. So rather than focusing on the events of our trial or the adversity, we need to trust that God is in control, right? And we need to look to what the end result of what God is doing in our life. As we learn to look beyond our adversity, as we learn to look beyond that trial, we will begin to move toward the spirit of living joyfully in the face of trials and adversities. Dan Desmond is a man that attends Dr. Jeremiah's church. I'd like you to listen to his testimony as he faces adversity in his life and see the attitude that he has. Please watch. You have 
Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And Gloria and I, apparently, we said yes. We understand. He said it again. He goes, don't you understand? He goes, I said you have ALS. He goes, you're dying. You only have two to five years to live on the average. He was a little shocked and I said, well, don't you understand? You're dying too. We're all dying. We have uh, been involved with ministry for probably a good chunk of our, our marriage life in one form or another. Started a counseling practice at the end of 1998. Then this little disease of ALS came along. A few years later, uh, because of the disease, I had to stop counseling. That was difficult. Uh, it was very difficult. This disease is not fun. Matter of fact, it really stinks. But Gloria and I really never prayed for a healing because we felt that the disease was God's equipping. I really, really loved doing my counseling. I don't go to the office, but I still do counseling. It's just done differently. ALS Association and, and one of the hospitals that I go to, if somebody comes in and with this disease, they have a tendency to become very depressed or suicidal. So they give them my phone number and they say, why don't you phone this guy? I couldn't imagine ever cursing God, questioning. I mean, he's, he's allowed things. He's God. We're not. And so is the process fun? No. Is the process different? Yes. But I get to counsel thousands of people. I've been involved in his word for years. No regrets. My regrets would be if I didn't have the marriage I have. My regrets would be if I didn't know my children knew the Lord. But I have a great marriage. I have a great relationship with our King of Kings. I have a great relationship with my children. I'm rich. The struggle's been hard. I know the end result of the disease. I don't have to live in the future. I'm going to live now. When I die, in less than a nanosecond of time, I'm with God in heaven. That's not too bad. That's a promotion. It's hard for the people we leave behind. We grieve for the people that are behind. But no, I'm looking forward to going home. I think the time ahead, and I don't know what time it is, will not necessarily be easy. But my way of looking at God's grace is it's right there. It's like a table with a glass of water. I'm thirsty. It's right there. If I don't grab the glass and drink it, I'm still going to be thirsty. His grace is the same way. The issue is God allows. God has a purpose. And why should we not surrender? Dan Desmond.
knew that the disease he had was not going to be easy on him or his family. But he knew that God allowed it for a reason, and he knew that God was in control. He didn't complain, but he rejoiced in the fact that he knew he was in God's hands, right? Now, it is easy to say, God is in control, and everything works out according to his plan when we are not facing adversity, isn't it? But when we are in the midst of it, that is when the grinding takes place and you feel the pain and the adversity and you just want it to go away. You know, it's like, have you ever had a pebble in your shoe when you're jogging and every time you step down, there's a sharp pain there and you just want to stop, you want to take your shoe off and just get rid of it. But we have to remember, it is through the pain, through those difficulties in our life, that God strengthens us and shapes us into the image of his son. Christ is our example. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about that. The suffering, the pain, and the agony of the cross. Bearing God's wrath for our sins. And yet scripture says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Ladies, he died and he suffered for us. So that we could live throughout eternity with him. He looked at the end result. Ladies, our adversity does not compare to what Christ suffered for us. But we are going to look at Christ for our example. And look beyond the adversity to what God is doing in our life. And rejoice in the certainty that he is at work in us to cause us to grow. There are three things that we can do to learn from adversity and receive the beneficial effects that God intends. First, we can submit to adversity. Ladies, we need to take the positive attitude that we talked about earlier, knowing that God has allowed the adversity in your life and trust him to see you through it. Make his purpose your purpose. There are going to be times when we see what God is doing and the purpose for our adversity. And it is in those times that we need to respond with humble obedience. Then there are going to be times that we don't understand why God has allowed that adversity in our life. It is in these times that we need to respond with humble faith, trusting God to work in our life according to his plan and purpose. Second, we need to be in the word of God. Ladies, you've heard the expression, in case of emergency, break the glass, and then you pull the alarm, right? Well, our response as Christians should be to turn to the Bible 
as this cartoon so cleverly displays. Ladies, we need to be walking close to the Lord, being in His Word daily, communicating with Him daily, pursuing a deep personal relationship with Him, so that when these adversities hit, we can have a confidence to know that God is working everything out according to His plan and purpose in our life. It is not a question of if the adversity comes, but when they come. We need to be grounded in the Word of God. Martin Luther said, Were it not for tribulation, I should not understand the scriptures. You ever notice that while you're in the adversity and you search the scripture to find the answers to help you through it, that the scripture just seems to jump off the page at you. It might be something that maybe you've passed over before, but now it just seems like it's just jumping off the page. This is when the Holy Spirit is helping you to understand and give you the answers to help you go through this adversity. Adversity transforms then from head knowledge into heart knowledge, just as we saw previously with Job. And then third, remember the adversities and the lessons we have learned from them. Now, it doesn't do us any good if we simply endure our trials, right? We must learn from them so that we can apply them to our lives. God told the Israelites to remember the 40 years in the desert, as it says in Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 through 3. Let's look at that. It says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Ladies, God told the Israelites to remember the 40 years, right, in the desert. For example, by bringing up the adversity in the form of hunger in their lives during those 40 years and supplying food, they learned that God supplies their needs, right? So in order to profit from this lesson, they had to remember it. When they looked back, when they were having all this food and they were in the land of promise, they had to remember it was God who was providing for them. Well, we too, if we are to profit from the lessons God teaches us, we must remember them. We must allow them to sink deeply into our hearts so that each time another adversity comes, we will remember how God whittled away the imperfections of our life to make us more like Him. Ladies, in adversity, we are supposed to to concentrate on the end result, on what God is doing in our life. Well, Jerry Bridges brings out seven areas that we can see the end results in. For example, first one is pruning. Now, when you think of pruning, your mind automatically thinks of plants, right? So you prune your plants to help them grow and to give them strength. 
Well, have you ever thought about how plants and us need a lot of the same things? How much we're alike? When you look at a label from miracle Grow Plant Food and you compare it to a multivitamin that we take, you notice similar things that we need for nourishment, like, say, potassium and magnesium, iron and zinc. And then you look over and you might see a vitamin plant enhancer, and it reads supplements that give plants a huge boost of B vitamins. Vitamins like B1 and B12 have proven to be tremendously effective in reducing stress and increasing growth in plants. Well, does that sound familiar? B12 also reduces stress in us, as well as increases our energy, right? So you can really see how we all come from the dust, don't we? Well, in the natural realm, the healthy vine requires both nourishment and pruning. And through the Word of God, we are nourished, but through adversity, we are pruned. Christ said in John 15, verses 1 through 2, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is important for fruit bearing, isn't it? An unpruned vine will produce a great deal of unproductive growth, but little fruit. By cutting away the unwanted and unuseless growth, it forces the plant to use its life to produce fruit. I think about my rose bushes at home, and they are absolutely filled with roses. And then the roses start to die off. And if you don't go out and deadhead that plant, where you take off all the dried dried up dead roses, well, it comes back and it blooms again with new roses if you go out and deadhead it. But if you don't deadhead it and you don't take all those off, well, it doesn't produce as many new roses and it gets a bit sparse. In many ways, we are the same. In the same way that you prune our plants, God prunes us of any unwanted growth in our life. When we start to get a bit prideful, let's say, God may need to give us a pill of humility, right? You may need to prune away some of that unwanted pride. Then there are times that we prune plants simply to shape them and to help them grow properly or into a certain shape. So God also uses adversity to prune away areas in our life simply to help us grow into a stronger Christian. It may not be necessarily something bad in our life, but something to shape us into his image, into what he wants us to be. The Christian life is about constantly growing, right? Constantly being shaped into what God wants us to be. Well, my husband and I, we felt the pain of pruning in our life as he shaped us during the period when we lost our parents all within five months of each other. It really rocked our world. What was the normalcy of life had changed forever, and the loss was so grand that it engulfed our very being. But God, he was so faithful, and he carried us through step by step as we leaned on him. He never let go. When we go through adversities like that, you feel the pruning. You feel the change in your life. 
and you know that the previous shape that you had has changed drastically and you don't look at life the same way. It causes you to think about what is really important in your life. Well, ladies, life is short and we need to concentrate on living our lives to glorify God, don't we? That is what is going to matter in the end. What did you do for Christ? God will continue to prune us and shape us into his image. The second illustration Jerry Bridges used was holiness. Through adversity, we grow in holiness. As we see in Hebrews 12, chapters 10 through 11. In making us holy, God goes deeper than surface issues, doesn't he? He gets to the heart of things. Well, sometimes we may think we're strong Christians and we think that we show Christian love in our life and that, wow, the joy of Christ is just radiates through us until someone offends us and treats us unjustly and the anger and the resentment just well up inside us. Or perhaps it could be an unexpected turn of life, an illness, a death, or a great loss that just shattered your world. Well, Peter, he thought his love for Christ was so strong that he would never deny Christ. But we all know that Peter did deny Christ, didn't he? Not once, but three separate times. It is only through adversities that we learn to trust God to shape us into his image. Third illustration is dependence on God. Another area in our lives that God must continually be at work on is our tendency to rely on ourselves instead of him, right? Well, Jesus said in John 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Ladies, we live in a world that worships independence and self-reliance, don't we? We tend to try to be independent too. And we rely on our own abilities, our knowledge, and our experiences. Even our goodness and morality. So God has to use our adversities to show us that we need to rely on Him and not on our own abilities. Let's look over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verses 8-10. through 10. It says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, or our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even life. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Well, the Apostle Paul said of his difficulties that he described in verse 8 as burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despair even life. Then in verse 9, he states that those difficulties occurred 
that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Ladies, God allowed Paul and his band of men to be brought into a situation so desperate that they despaired even life itself. They had no place to turn except to God. Well, Paul also learned through the thorn in his flesh to depend on God, didn't he? He desperately wanted to get rid of it too, but God let it remain. Not only to con- not only to curb any tendency of pride in his heart, but also to teach him to rely on God's strength. The fourth illustration that Bridges uses is perseverance. God wants us to do more than simply bear up under adversity. Perseverance is the quality of character that enables us to pursue a goal in spite of the obstacles and difficulties in our life. Paul and James both tell us how adversity produces perseverance. For instance, Romans 5.3, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And then James said it in James 1.3, Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance it is God's strength not ours right that enables us to persevere Philippians 4:13 says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me not through my abilities or my knowledge but through Christ we are called to persevere to do God's will despite the obstacles and discouragements, but in His strength and in His alone. Fifth, He shows us service. Adversity equips us for more effective service. It is necessary to make us into people who are fit for the responsibility that God wants to give us. Now, as we have looked at pruning, holiness, dependence, and perseverance, they all contribute to making us useful instruments in God's service. As we experience God's comfort and encouragement in our own adversities, we are equipped to be His instruments to comfort and encourage others. You ever notice when you're going through something, And then you see that somebody else is going through it. You've already been through it. And it's so easy to go up and tell them, God is in control and he will see you through it. Listen to what he did for me. So it helps equip us to encourage others. The sixth is the fellowship of suffering. The Apostle John identified himself in Revelation 1.9 as your brother and companion in suffering. Through adversity, we have the privilege of entering into a special fellowship with other believers who are also going through adversity. Suffering unites our hearts together in Christ more than any other aspect of fellowship. Adversity has a way of bonding us together, a sense of sharing 
the life we have in Christ, encouraging those around us as they struggle in the times of deep adversity. So five and six kind of go together a little bit there. And then we look at the seventh and final illustration that Jerry Bridges uses, and that is the relationship with God. Now perhaps the most valuable way we profit from adversity is in the deepening of our relationship with God. Ladies, through adversity, we learn to bow before his sovereignty, to trust in his wisdom and experience his love until we come to the place where we can say with Job, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. We begin to pass from knowing about God, which is your head knowledge, to knowing God himself in a personal and intimate way, which is your heart knowledge. Ladies, in Philippians 3.10, we see an expression of the deepest heart cry, the desire to know Christ in an ever-increasing, intimate, personal way. Let's look at that. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That know there is an experiential knowledge, that heart knowledge. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Repeatedly in the Bible, we see men and women of God drawing closer into a deeper relationship with God through adversity, don't we? Now, you and I obviously do not seek out adversity just so we can develop a deeper relationship with God, do we? Nobody wants to seek out adversity and trials. Rather, God, through adversity, he seeks us out. It is God who draws us more and more into a deeper relationship with him. There is no question that adversity is difficult. And it usually hits where we are most vulnerable. But the one thing we know is that God is in control. He knows what is best for us and he will use the adversities in our life to shape us into the image of his son. Well, we need to come to a place in our life where we will surrender our life to the will of God. Ladies, in closing, I would like you to watch a video of a man who exemplifies total surrender of God, placing his life in the hands of God through his adversity. Please watch. Hi, my name is Zach Smith, and I am 33 years old. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Mandy, for 11 years. We have three children, Lizzie, Jake, and Luke. And this is my story. I met Jesus when I was five years old. I grew up as a son of missionary parents in Ecuador, where I lived for 15 years. I went to college in Arizona, where I met my wife. For the next 10 years, we traveled around while I worked in the information technology field. We served in our local church, and I attended seminary. I often thought about working in full-time ministry, but no opportunities seemed right. I was told about a job here at New Spring Church helping with information technology. It was perfect, an IT job at an amazing church. 
I took the job and started working in October of 2008. For several months, life was very good and we were very happy. In May of 2009, at age 32, I was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. Immediately I had surgery to remove a foot and a half of my large intestine and a lemon-sized tumor. I was told that cancer had spread to my spleen and to my liver. Chemotherapy was on the horizon. This was all a very sudden shock to me. I had always been very healthy. And I found myself very confused. Why did I have cancer? Had I done something wrong to cause it? Was this a result of many years of sinful living in my past? I was working at a church and serving God. Where did I go wrong? But thankfully the confusion quickly turned to hope. I knew that God had a plan for my life. I did not understand why I had cancer, but I knew that God was in charge. For three months I underwent a horrible chemo regimen. Afterwards I had a scan done and the results were great. There was no cancer found in my body. We celebrated God's healing and God's faithfulness. And the next few weeks of my life were some of the best as I celebrated being cancer free. But another scan one month later showed that the cancer had reappeared this time in my abdominal cavity. I was devastated. Why was it back? Everything was just starting to make sense, but the reoccurrence of cancer caused even greater confusion. I resumed chemotherapy and did more tests. The cancer is now growing and getting worse. Unfortunately, the chemo drugs are no longer effective in my abdomen, and surgery is not an option due to the degraded state of my liver. Medically speaking, there is nothing more for me. And medically speaking, I probably will not live to 2011. The Bible says in Matthew 7:11 that God gives good things to those who ask. God cannot give me a bad gift. And it is through that lens that I can say that cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I am a better husband and a better dad, a better boss and a better employee, a better friend and a better follower of Jesus. And through cancer, God has shown me some amazing things about himself. Those are indeed great gifts. I still have questions about cancer, why it went away and why it came back. I do not understand, but I know that God is in charge. I am praying for God to heal me. That is my desire. I want to walk my daughter Lizzie down the aisle. I want to watch my sons, Jake and Luke, become men. I want to grow old with Mandy. And I want to live my life with my friends here at work. But I may not be able to work for very much longer. And I may have just celebrated my last Christmas with my family. I do know. If God chooses to heal me, then God is God and God is good. If God chooses not to heal me and allows me to die, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory. At age 33, Zach went home to be with the Lord. As he faced the final chapter of his life, he said, if God heals me, 
then God is God and God is good. And if he chooses to take me home, then God is still good and God is still God. To God be the glory. Ladies, God is God and God is good. To God be the glory. Until next week, God bless.